Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you all are. Uh, welcome to another episode of um, Who Do Deserves To Be. Um, I've got a very special guest on today. Um, let's take another look at um, aspect of um, mental health in, in another way, um, delving into another side of it, which is always good and helps you all deal with this other aspect of uh, your mental health and help with your interactions with your loved ones and your friends and that. Um, and this gentleman I've got on, he's, uh, he's a relationship expert. So uh, I won't go into too much detail. So I'd like to welcome John Kenny. Hi, Darren. Thank you for having me. Hello. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, if you'd like to start and basically just tell everyone what you, what you do. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so as you said, I'm a relationship expert. I'm actually a, a relationship empowerment coach. And I work with people who want to create or get into a healthy, loving relationship. <clears throat> so my background's in therapy. So I trained as a, a counselor, uh, oh, goodness gracious, 18 years ago now. Um, and then opened my own practice as a therapist in 2008 and then moved across into coaching in 2016. I, I met a coach who um, basically asked me if uh, you know, I'm helping these people through therapy, why does my life still suck? Um, and that's because I was repeating the same sort of patterns all over in, in my life that I'd always done, which were leading me into sort of self-sabotaging, destructive type routines. Um, and so I thought, oh, this is really good. This is kind of telling me I can actually tell myself a different story. So I then decided to train as a coach and then focused on relationships twin, since 2016. Um, firstly, I was helping people that were in sort of toxic, unhealthy relationship spaces because my <clears throat> own relationship history to say somewhat is, is checkered um, and pretty messy, actually. As, and so I could do a lot of work on my own stuff as far as relationships were concerned. Um, and it made such a huge difference to my own life. And I also noticed that the clients I was working with, if we could get their relationship stuff sorted out, it made a huge difference to all areas of their lives. Um, and there was an, actually a study by Yale University that's concluded that it was a study into happiness and what makes us happy. And they concluded that the, the, the biggest contributor to overall happiness and fulfillment in life was the quality of your relationships. Um, so relationships have a massive bearing on our overall well-being um, and, and mental health. Definitely. Um, totally agree with that. And that's amazing because, as I've said before, with um, and we spoke previously before, um, my breakthrough with my mental health breakdown, I've mentioned this on previous episodes, was how I, how I saw it affected my loved ones and mm -hmm. how they reacted to my, to my breakdown. And that kind of triggered something in me to, to motivate and push myself to, to get better and heal and recover. And, that definitely relates to, like you say, with the relationships you have with people in your life. Yeah, because sometimes we don't have it within ourselves to do it for ourselves, do we? Now, first of all, I mean, we don't maybe realise that we're in that space in the first place, but we can see the impact that it might have on others. And although on the whole, I would say, you know, we need to do it for ourselves, 
the relationships that we have can be a real good spur and uh, you know, kind of motivator to to kind of get ourselves back on the right track. Definitely. And <clears throat> it's funny because I know, obviously, my own experience, my family members and my friends weren't the ones that I opened up to with mm. when I was when I was suffering. It happened to be my mm. my um, my boss at my current job right. who'd seen that I was unwell and and um, he took me into the office and I literally broke down in front of him. Mm. Um, so obviously, anyone else that's listening that that having problems reaching out to their family because I know it's difficult because if you feel ashamed and embarrassed, letting the family down, mm. what advice would you give someone <clears throat> that is suffering that? good to reach out to your loved ones yeah yeah i mean i was talking to someone this morning actually and it was the first time i'd spoken to them as a as a client mm. um and i was talking to them about certain things they go oh, i don't want to talk about that i don't want to talk about it. so even though they were paying me to have a session with me there were still things that they didn't want to talk about to me they don't know me um they didn't feel comfortable at that point but hopefully as the relationship develops on uh, on the coaching time we spend together, they'll they'll be able to open up a little bit more. Um, but they were saying how vulnerable it made them feel just touching on these subjects. And there are many reasons why we might not go to the people that are closest to us. I mean, you know, one of the common things I hear is I don't want to be a burden to them. Um, there's something to do with self-confidence and self-worth around, you know, do I deserve to be able to share this with somebody? Is anyone really going to listen to me? Um, but there is always somewhere out, someone out there that can hear you, whether it's someone that you pay to do it, whether it's Samaritans or um, if you go to Mind or there's always somebody, like you said, you opened up to your boss and it was your boss noticing that there was something wrong. And I think that's key perhaps in this you know, instance and a lot of instances there. A lot of people ask us how we are, but how many people are actually really interested in the answer? Um and there are but there are people that are interested in the answer so if you someone asks you how you are and then generally seem that they want to know how you are then I would suggest they're the type of people that you even you could try and just open up to a little bit um, just to get the things that are bothering you off your chest and 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 help you to express yourself and and hopefully then if necessary, once you've spoken to them, you'll be able to speak to someone else and someone else and someone else and someone else uh, and alleviate the issues that you're going through. Yeah, definitely. And with, because I know there's a lot of parents, it's a generational thing, isn't it? With mental health, it's a generational thing where back in the day, a man was a man, you know what I mean? You, mm. you, you carried on and you pushed through and you weren't allowed to show your emotions and stuff like that. And I know that does carry <laughs> on. Obviously, my my father wasn't particularly interested in how I was at the time. Um, I know he shielded himself sort of away from it. He didn't at the time. I was angry because he didn't want to to feel like he was interested. It didn't feel like he was. You know what I mean? It, it sort of pushed it away. Mm-hmm. But when I look back at it now, and I think over the years, I think about it. I think yeah, it's it's generational. It's something that's drilled into him from when he was brought up and possibly it's a, a parental thing doesn't want to admit that there's something wrong that there was something wrong with their kid <clears throat> yeah yeah I think there's people that just don't do that you know it's, um, 
And it's not that they can't. I don't like the word can't when it comes to these right. things. Like it's I won't do it. You know, if you tell me your problems, I either know how to be in that space with you or I don't. I either want to be in that space with you or I don't. Um, and it's all about you know what am I comfortable with and what I'm not what I'm not comfortable with. And like you said, my my dad's pretty much the same. My dad used to say when I was a kid, if you don't stop crying. I'll give you something to cry about. I was going to hit you. And yeah. I was like, well, that's, that's completely not going to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he didn't really know how to, he doesn't know how to be in that space with somebody that's upset or uncomfortable um, because that makes him massively uncomfortable. But like you said, was never taught how to put his arm around someone and say, you know what, son, are you okay? Um, it's not something he was ever taught to do. Um, and it can be then difficult that can then get passed on and it's very interesting that you know i've gotten down this road from a very early age in my teenage years probably i was somebody that people could come and talk to and would come and talk to um but actually i was never brought up in a household where we talked about our problems um that anybody kind of made you feel better i remember when i had my first abusive relationship i was in this space for like three years and then when it all finished, um, my dad was like, oh, it's nice to see my son back. You know, I, I didn't know I disappeared. Uh, I didn't know that I, I was a complete shell of my my normal self. Um, but he never said anything. He never sort of said, what's what's up? Why are you so, where has my son gone? Um, and my mum said something along the lines of, from what I remember, oh, I knew she wasn't right for you. I knew this was a big problem and blah, blah, blah. But the whole time I was in the relationship, nobody ever sort of said, this doesn't feel, this doesn't seem like this is a good space for you to be in. Um, and it was only when I came out the other side that they were able to comment. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, if we notice that someone's struggling or they may be losing sense of themselves or whatever, it's always important just to sort of check in with them and say, how are you? Of course, yeah, definitely. And I want to touch a bit more actually with, um, <clears throat> abusive relationships and stuff like that and obviously mm -hmm. that can have a uh traumatic effect on on your mental health because it knocks you it knocks your confidence and everything and your, your self-worth everything mm -hmm. is there what what advice would you do you touch on for people when it comes to things like that yeah i guess everyone's very individual in these kind of aspects because we will be in these in these spaces for our own reasons uh, I, I kind of got into my one because I felt like this person was the only person that ever loved me. So although her love was very obsessive, obsessive to the point of abuse, um, the feeling that I'd never been loved before, I thought, well, she loves me, right? Because she's so obsessed with me, but was actually abusing me and controlling me and everything else that was going on at the same time. Um, I think in, in those circumstances is really difficult because a lot of us that have been in those situations will go, I don't actually know I'm here at the time. Um, but being able to say to somebody, just to know that somebody is there, um, to know that somebody that you read that really cares about you and has your best interests at heart. And I know as well, that can be really difficult because most of the reason we end up in those types of relationships in the first place is because we don't really have the support network and we are maybe needy and, um, and, and have a want to be loved and cared about. So we don't we maybe have the right relationships around us anyway. Um, but if you have someone that you trust, someone that you know really has your best interests at heart, that's the person I would speak to about it because they're not going to give you any uh, bullshit, hopefully. 
um, they're going to kind of help you to see that the relationship that you're in isn't actually the best space for you to be in. Um, and there's always something you can do about it as well. So don't give up hope that, you know, if you feel like you're in the depths of despair and the relationship you're in and nothing's ever going to change, there is always something you can do. Of course, yeah, definitely. And, and also to obviously to those people as well that are noticing, like you, if you your father noticed that you you weren't you and it was nice to have you back at the end. And mm. sort of I'm guessing if people were watching and listening to this, if you're noticing someone in your own family that are like that, they're completely lost and they're not their, their normal self, is I'm guessing, I don't know, just don't be afraid of going up to them and just asking if, like you said, if they're okay and just... Mm maybe being that because obviously if they're trapped and they're in that abusive relationship I'm guessing that they're not always going to come forward straight away are they I suppose and it's if someone's coming to them I suppose that will give them encouragement I don't know would it I would I would say so yeah I mean it's not like I said some people are not going to be able to step out and go yes I'm vulnerable please help me I mean it's just it's just some people are not going to even recognize they're in such a destructive space um, but most of us, I mean, I knew something was wrong. I mean, I was only 19, 20 years of age in the first time I went into a, uh, like an abusive relationship. I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what that wrong was because I was maybe too young to, to know what relationships were supposed to be anyway. Um, but like you said, people were noticing that there was something wrong. And if someone has said to me, John, you need to sort this out because this is having a really detrimental effect on your whole well-being. I, I, even though I probably didn't want to hear it, I think I would have listened um, yeah. because I knew in my gut that something wasn't right anyway. And I thought the relationship shouldn't be like this. This is like far too much like hard work. Um, but unfortunately, then, you know, again, with, with that relationship and a couple of others, it's that manipulative stuff that goes on under the surface as well. You know, she tried to keep me away from all of my friends and make me feel guilty if I wanted to socialize. And she just wanted to keep me to herself. Um, and, that, and again, that can be the case that some people just kind of get you away from your family. They get you away from your friends. Um, and it's really important that you don't allow that to happen. You don't allow them to isolate you and get them in, get you into a space where they want you to be in, where they need you to be in. Um, and that you keep your friends, your family, if, if, they're, if they're there, to, if you know, you've got good relationships with them, is you don't let everything else go. But with those types of relationships, can act like they can actually be quite consuming, um, and then we lose touch with with everything outside of that relationship because that's generally what the other person needs us to do, and to some extent, it's probably what we need to do because, like I said, I thought I was being loved, but that obsessive love, which was then overpowering everything else, other every other relationship there was in my life. And so I was seeing that as the only relationship that I needed, um, regardless of um, how damaging it was. Yeah, because uh, well, I've seen a lot of stories in that, obviously, in the news and stuff like that, where you see people in abusive relationships and stuff like that. And I just I don't, I don't, I don't know whether this is an aspect of what you talk about or what you, what, what you do, but what, what happens into a... A person's mental state to to give them that side where they feel they have to control a relationship. I don't. Yeah, it's um, generally built on insecurity. Yeah. Um, so uh, someone who needs to control anything is not a secure person. 
because they're, they're looking to create certainty within within their own mind um so they do everything they possibly can i call it a window of comfort so they have a very narrow window of comfort so it's like wearing blinkers for a lot of people they see what they need to see they see what they want to see and anything that kind of shifts them out of that window is too uncomfortable for them to manage within themselves it'll trigger their insecurities their fears um whatever it is that's that's their issue and then they'll try everything they possibly can to regain control um so they'll manipulate they'll try and um isolate different kind of mechanisms they'll do with people to try and get what they need back into their window of comfort and if and if they can't do that they'll really lose their, their, their shit usually um, yeah. uh, and they'll do everything they put that passive aggressive overly aggressive abusive whatever type of behavior that someone exhibits in order to create that certainty for themselves and, and take themselves out of that insecure space that they're going into <clears throat> and there's lots of different triggers for that and lots of different reasons for it um, but we just need to make sure that we have a, a nice wide window of comfort for ourselves and therefore it takes a lot for us to feel out of control or to feel the need to try and manipulate or, or take control back of a situation and most of these people don't have that they have a very narrow comfort window and so therefore they're easily disturbed from that place and they'll do then every every trick in the book that they can everything they think they can do in order to bring themselves back under control so that's another thing to recognize actually it's not really about us anyway it's about no, them of course yeah. you know they're not they're, they're not abusing us or controlling us or manipulating us for because of us no. they're doing it for their own to meet their own needs and to make themselves feel better yeah. um again and then it's up to us to decide if we want to help them with that or if we want to get get the hell out of there <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and that that kind of I don't know, I suppose in a way it could stem back to, to childhood experiences, I'm guessing, I, I suppose, with their mental state, um, any childhood dramas, dramas or anything like that, with yeah, even their parental, even seeing a bad relationship with their parents could probably have an effect on... on yeah, I mean, they, it'll, it'll go in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's all a matter of, of perspective, really, as kids. Um it is how your brain interprets the information that's in front of you as to how you will then um, react and, and then things you'll take on board. So like you said, you know, um, I do a lot of work with sort of attachment styles and there's an attachment style called, is it called a disorganized style? And it's kind of a really uh, unsettling space for someone to be in because they would have experienced some kind of trauma as a childhood, which is called an adverse child experience uh, or ACEs. And um, generally that will lead to somebody wanting to have a relationship, but not knowing how to do a relationship um, because they'll either become avoidant or anxious or both in the same sort of space. So they're, they're, primary caregivers have taught them that relationships are quite a confusing space to be in for instance they may have like you said witnessed abuse between the two parents so therefore they're looking to one of their parents to give them love and affection provide security and safety and survival and everything but actually they're also beating the rubbish out of 
their other half and therefore they see that and it they go oh, and their brain doesn't know how to interpret that information this person i want to love and make me feel safe but i also know that they're very dangerous to be around so that then plays with their perception of relationships and then as they get older um, they can then unfortunately then choose relationships which keep them spiraling and circling in this space uh, so they never actually find a relationship that shows them that relationships can be okay cool and this goes to back to me with i'm very much youth motivated with with mental health with this show um mm. and i guess this goes back again to to what i've spoken to before with previous guests about education with youth and um being a parent myself um, when I found out this, this stat, um, it was quite shocking and disturbing and, and worrying, in fact, um, that only 2% of the schools all across the UK have signed a declaration for mental health right. to, to say that they, they, they're willing to, to support your child mentally. Right. And to me, that just shows that they're more bothered about their, their Ofsted reports on getting the kids their, the grades that they need to give a good reputation for their school. Yeah. Um, and for me, a, a child's uh, school, they were there nine, the majority of the time, especially in school terms. Their parent, their teachers see us parents more than, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, than me do. And it's, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's just it's disappointing that the education system is letting them down like that, really, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I guess that's the problem, though. The education system is about education for getting people... Yeah. I mean, it's very formulaic, isn't it? You go to school, you get your qualifications, you get a job, you pay taxes. I think that is the kind of primary goal behind going to school is to teach you enough stuff so that you can go and get a job. Yeah. I don't think it's it's not there to think about your whole well-being and how we can be whole human beings and be the healthiest versions of ourselves. It's not there for that reason. And I guess most schools will tell you they just probably don't have the funding to put aside. I know there are some... Like um, when I was training to be a therapist, there was a service called Place to Be and they go into primary schools and offer therapy to kids that are struggling in primary school. Um, So I'm sure that's very helpful. But again, like you said, there's no real teaching of um, how to be healthy mentally and emotionally um, as as much as there maybe even is there physically. Um, And obviously that's that's... I've said before that's no fault of the teachers. Obviously, they do they do an incredible job, and they did that through the pandemic. They whether they were doing the homeschooling and stuff like that, it was yeah. extremely difficult on the teachers. But for me, it's above them. It's the, the the board. But again, is that a generational thing? Again, do you think that's because it's how they got brought up? They don't really tend to general generally focus on that as much. No, I think also there's this mental health at work thing. I think it's a great initiative. Yeah. But it's a very brief overview of mental of health. It is. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you need someone specially trained yeah. to be able to do this properly. I would say, yeah. um, not to undermine the people that are going out there and getting trained, because actually having a broader awareness of, of mental health is amazing. Bringing it to mm. the fore, front of things, is amazing. But again, with school, now teachers aren't mental health professionals. No, of course not. No. They're, you know, they're not necessarily going to either have the inclination or the time or the experience or the ability to help someone that's struggling with their emotional or mental well-being. 
um, it does need to be a specialist uh, uh, subject, you know, then a mental health teacher that comes in and gives a lesson about Oof. mental health, um, you know, otherwise, that's another responsibility for a teacher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it is a difficult one because, yes, it's a whole, like I said, it's a horrible stat. And <clears throat> I think te helping kids, because like I said, a lot of the time, kids don't open up to their parents. A lot of the time, my daughter, I say, how are you? You're right. Yeah, I'm fine. And that's all I get from her, really. But she's, yeah. she's very uh, borderline in the teenager. So I think that's just the typical yeah. teenage phase. But... Um, I think, I think if they had, a lot of kids don't know how they feel because it's no, no. You know, because they don't know what emotions really are supposed exactly. to feel like. No, they don't understand or, it, do they? They, they yeah. articulate what that is. I mean, I know, like especially with the younger type, you know, it's a lot of it's done through play and drawing and mm. and activities and stuff. Because you know, how do you articulate as a kid? I mean, I know that I probably couldn't have done <laughs> a great job of it, yeah. um, even up until I was in my thirties, and to and telling anyone how I really felt because. Yeah. You know, I, I was oblivious to my own emotions, let alone yeah. being able to tell someone else how yeah. I was feeling. Um, but yeah, if we can open that discussion at a younger age, yeah. we could explore that space of emotional well-being, uh, at least to become aware, you know, I don't know what I feel, but I, I kind of don't feel right, or this is kind of going on, or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, at least, again, normalise the idea that this is something that will help us yeah. yeah, definitely. And if, like I said, if it is talked about a lot more and, like I said, normalised a lot more, and maybe in, in simple tasks, like if people uh, are too afraid of opening up and talking, maybe kids, they like to draw things, maybe put their emotions into <clears throat> drawings or, or write it down on a piece of paper to show the teacher and, or someone that's in that sort of area that they can see that they're showing their emotions mm. and in time they can build up that confidence and as well they're showing the children that it's okay to to open up and share your feelings and then teaching them young because that could help with like you say with their relationships with their the parents and that because the more they open up at school and stuff like that the, the more they open up at home as well I suppose. Yeah, I hope so. And obviously, then we need to allow the parents to be open to the idea of being comfortable with their kids yeah. sharing, sharing yeah. their feelings and knowing what to do yeah. in those circumstances as well. Um, again, like I said, with my with my dad, if I tried to tell my dad how I felt, he'd be like, "All right, okay, see you later." You know, I don't think he'd know. He wouldn't know what to do in that space. Right. He, would, he might not approvingly, or he might just tell me to man up or grow up or whatever it was and mm. i don't really know because it never really happened um but i know that when i was upset he, he wasn't able to hold me in a in a in a secure space no and that's why i'm proud of i've always said i'm proud of my experience because i'm now able to use that as a tool and a weapon to teach and show my daughter and she knows my story she knows what i went through I talk to her on a regular basis and I ask her if she's okay and how her day's been and, mm. and stuff like that. And so for me, I kind of, yeah, that experience has helped. Yeah. And it's helped her yeah. and hugely. Most definitely, because she's seen actually that you can get to the depths of despair, mm. but you can be okay. 
Of course. I think that's the thing that, you know, we're not taught as kids and, and this emotional regulation kind of stuff is it's okay that you're having a crap day. Yeah. It's okay that you're really struggling at the moment. There are things you can do to help yourself to feel better. There are things that someone else can do to help you feel better. This generally will get better. Um, and I think that's a really important message that needs to be uh, kind of put out there to people as well, because we don't, you know, the, most of the people I speak to that are really struggling weren't taught how to soothe, weren't soothed as kids. Their emotions weren't soothed. They weren't oh. taught that, you know, this is really difficult right now, but it's going to be okay. Mm. And we, then we don't know how to self-soothe. So then when we get older and things happen, we don't know how to go, you know what, this is a bit crappy today, but I'm going to be all right. Um, I'm going to be all right. And what can I do maybe to help myself to make sure that this is going to be okay? Who can I turn to to help me to make sure this is okay? We're not taught that as kids. Um, and I think, like you said, that's a really important thing that we need to learn as children, that there is always an outlet for this type of stuff. Of and we're going we're gonna to be okay. We hide a lot of these difficult emotions from kids, don't we? Yeah. And then when they get older, they don't know how to deal with these difficult emotions themselves because they've never seen someone else dealing with them. Exactly. It's uh, that's like I say. It's that's the funny thing in it because as we get older, we talk, like you said, we talk more and more about the mental health side of things. But then, like you said, we don't we don't like to let our kids see us get emotional because we want to be brave for them. But then we kind of yeah, like you said, it's it's funny how that works and how that mm. it's strange how that works in it, and we we try and shield them from it. But then we want them to open up and, and share. It's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they don't have any experience of this wide range of no. emotions that we experience, no. and maybe they don't feel like it's okay that they then have this mm. wide range of emotions yeah. that they experience themselves. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to leave this episode with um, if you could share one piece of advice that you've got for anyone that's struggling mentally in a relationship or struggling mentally about getting into a relationship with someone well there's so many things um that could, <laughs> could be stopping people from finding that relationship <laughs> um i mean it's, it's always comes back to the relationship you have with yourself really um if you find that you're struggling to find the right type of person and if you keep finding yourselves in difficult relational circumstances there's something going on in your subconscious which is allowing that to happen. Um, so figure that figure that out. You know, figure out what's going on for you at a subconscious level, which is allowing you to keep attracting the wrong type of people, finding yourself in difficult circumstances, um, because there'll be something. I was I was talking to um, so I've, I've we've kind of chatted already. I've got my own podcast. Uh, and the guest I was talking to when my show came out last week, um, she said that she was single for 12 years and she kept dating all these guys and she kept having the same outcomes. But it took her 12 years of that to go, OK, what's the common denominator here? It's got to be me. For me to keep attracting these types of people, for me to keep finding myself in this situation, there must be something that I'm doing that's making this happen. And I think once we can figure out what's going on for us, we can then put things in place which allow us to attract and create uh, the healthy, loving relationships that we want in our lives. Definitely. Brilliant advice. I like that. And that's, that's someone I might take forward. <laughs> Definitely. Um, 
so yeah thank you very much again for coming on um some great things i've learned there and very well worth taking on board and using that forward in my own life as well it's, it's um a great learning process that episode and i thank you for coming on again no you're very welcome Darren. thanks for having me it's been a pleasure yeah um and i just want to say one last question to all my listeners um is after that great episode is who do you deserve to be um and go and find that person and even that relationship that you want so thank you again for coming on and thank you for listening